大家晚上好，这里是正在为您。Welcome to Merrick's Experts, the podcast that provides analysis of current affairs in China. Hello, I'm Ruth Kirchner. Welcome. I'm joined today by the Financial Times journalist James King, who knows Asia and China in particular really well, having spent over two decades in the region. For many years, he was the FT's Beijing bureau chief. He wrote a book about China. China shakes the world, and he's now based in London. James, welcome to the Merrick's Studio in Berlin. We want to discuss President Xi Jinping's signature initiative, a project that is grand and very ambitious: the new Silk Road, or Obor, One Belt One Road, or simply Belt and Road Initiative. It's about building connecting infrastructure like roads, bridges, and railways, linking China with Eurasia and Europe, and building ports and other transport links to connect China with Southeast Asia, South Asia, and Africa. James, Obor sounds huge. It is huge. Can you put a price tag on it and maybe give us an idea of the size? Thank you very much for inviting me. Yes, there is an official number for the One Belt One Road、uh, scheme. The Chinese government officially plans to invest about nine hundred billion U.S. dollars.、Uh, you will sometimes see that number rounded up to one trillion、uh, in various media articles,、um, as if the small matter of a hundred. Billion U.S. dollars is neither here nor there, but I think the the key point with the nine hundred billion number is that it's never broken down. We never know how many projects are underway at the moment. We never know over what period this nine hundred billion is supposed to be invested. We don't have a, any idea from the official figures in China of the distribution of this investment in Asia, in the Middle East, in Africa, and in Europe. So. Really, it's just a bald number, kind of hanging out there, like a big sort of clarion, which is calling people to take notice of the One Belt One Road, and hopefully, in the Chinese minds anyway, calling investors to invest. But it is a lot of money, no matter how quickly or when exactly China is going to spend it. So why is China doing all that? And、um, surely this is not、uh, just to、uh, help some poor neighboring countries. Well, from a political domestic perspective. The One Belt One Road scheme could hardly be more important. It is connected right at the very top of the pinnacle of Chinese power. This is supposedly the brainchild of Xi Jinping, the president. It's connected to his overarching narrative for China, which is the China Dream. In other words, that China should, over the next however long I don't know, recapture its historical glories as the preeminent nation in Asia and probably the preeminent nation in the world. So, One Belt One Road is really important from a domestic Chinese perspective. It's also important from an economic perspective in China because it is supposed to invigorate mainly state-owned enterprises, mainly the railway builders, the construction companies, the big banks,、uh, particularly the big development banks like China Development Bank and the Exim Bank of China. It's supposed to invigorate them and give them an international, a very international dimension. To their operations, so it's supposed to turn state-owned China into an internationally going concern. And I would say, as a, as a sort of third issue, One Belt One Road is also supposed to help with 
as it were, getting rid of China's excess capacity. Many industries in China are heavily in overcapacity, and China needs to sell a lot of power stations and railways and roads and all the other heavy stuff that you can think of abroad because the domestic market is getting softer. Uh, but China itself is uh, talking about in slightly different terms. Um, in China, you hear a lot about uh, connectivity and uh, connecting China, connecting China to Eurasia, to Europe and to other parts of the world. And um, when you talk about all that infrastructure, is actually a need for all that infrastructure? Do these countries need all these roads and railways and bridges? Yes, you're absolutely right. China is selling this as China's proposition towards globalization. There is a big debate at the moment, given that uh, the administration of Donald Trump appears to be backing away from America's traditional role as the champion of globalization. And Xi Jinping defended globalization recently at uh, Davos in Switzerland at the World Economic Forum. So the One Belt, One Road to a very large extent is China's offering to the world in terms of a globalizing impetus. But the question of whether or not the recipient countries really need all the infrastructure that China is planning on building is a good one. I would say overall, in aggregate, they definitely need it. For instance, the Asian Development Bank for a while has had a number of a, an infrastructure gap in Asia of about 8 trillion US dollars. So there's a huge amount of infrastructure that needs to be built. But whether or not the projects that China is identifying are the most necessary projects is another question entirely. And what we have begun to see in the One Belt, One Road scheme is some of the projects have not performed well at all. Because you have traveled in some of these countries, you've been to Cambodia, you've been to Pakistan, you've seen some of these projects. Now, do they make economic sense? Are they in the right places? And are they being used? In the case of Cambodia, and I spent quite some time there last year, I would say overall, the Chinese projects have been of assistance to the development of, of the country. They've built lots of roads, they've built ports, They've helped in power stations. They're building a huge hydroelectric dam. And they've also had some, uh, you know, tourism projects, etc. But overall, the Chinese engagement with Cambodia has been really moving the needle. They've invested about nine billion US dollars there, which in that country of 15 million people is an awful lot of money. And there are about 13 billion in infrastructure projects that China is yet to build that, that, that's on paper at the moment. But if you look at some other places, there have been some real what is becoming known as red elephants. In other words, projects built with communist zeal that actually never perform. And I think probably the most notable is in Hambantota in Sri Lanka, where China went in and built a port and an airport for just over a billion US dollars. The airport is got to be one of the emptiest airports in the world. It's about 12,000 square meters in size. There are 12 check-in gates. There, there are two gates. It's fully staffed with about 600 people. And yet there are no more than about 10 or to 20 passengers every day. In other words, it's a brand spanking new airport. 
with almost ghostly calm around it. And it's losing money hand over fist. It's supposed to be losing about 18 million US dollars a year, so much so that the Sri Lankan government can no longer support that airport and the port. And it's had to sell it back to China. So China is now the owner of this piece of infrastructure that it initially was building for the Sri Lankan people. This is Merrick's Experts. With me is James King of the Financial Times. We're discussing China's new Silk Road or One Build, One Road initiative, its opportunities and its risks. James, you just mentioned these uh, sort of red elephant projects. So there's this notion of um, build and they will come projects. So you, you start building infrastructure on the hope that they will attract people, they will attract business, and they then later on might or might not lead uh, to um, returns on investment? Well, yes, I think that's a very fair description. I think, you know, some of these projects have really worked. There's a railway that was just commissioned in Ethiopia that runs from uh, Ethiopia to Djibouti, and it appears to be very popular. Um, there appears to be demand for it, etc., But then there are others that look a lot more suspect. There's a famous railway in Venezuela, although Venezuela is not part of the One Belt, One Road. The project was conceived in very much the same template as One Belt, One Road projects. And that was an 800 million US dollar undertaking to build 300 miles of high-speed railway. And it's, it's become, as you say, a red elephant. It was conceived at a time of high emotion when Hugo Chavez was the president of Venezuela. And he was using a lot of socialist brotherhood rhetoric to get closer to the Chinese. And he described the railway as socialism on rails. And he said that the tickets would be cheap enough for the richest and the poorest to use and sit in these air-conditioned carriages and enjoy a more modern life. But now, if you go to this railway, you will just see abandoned construction sites, including one Chinese slogan, which is written on an archway over uh, a construction site that says dare to leap forward in a rather ironic and, and sad way these days. So it really is hit and miss. And I think part of the problem that these projects are hit and miss derives from the fact that Chinese lenders and contractors often don't really do project-based due diligence. They often go in and make a deal with the government and agree everything with the government, and only then do they start thinking about whether or not there are enough people to, to use a railway, let's say, to make it commercially viable. In some cases, the answer is yes, and in some cases, as we've seen, the answer is no. But that means also that uh, some of these projects uh, carry huge risks, uh, financial risks, first of all. They're being financed by um, Chinese uh, development banks. Um, so what, what are the risks that uh, China will actually invest a lot but will never get its money back, so to speak? There's a very considerable risk in that regard. I mentioned Venezuela a minute ago. It's not part of One Boat, One Road, but nevertheless, it's a, it's a similar case. Uh, China has lent... 65 billion US dollars to Venezuela, 20 billion of that is still outstanding. And last year, the Venezuelans renegotiated the repayment of those loans. In other words, they partially defaulted on those loans. 
I think what's happening now is that the Chinese are realizing that the approach that they've taken, this very bilateral approach where they make an agreement with the government and think about the project later, is losing the money. It's squandering Chinese monetary resources. And so now they are changing tack. One of the things they're doing is engaging much more in multilateral lending. The main Chinese multilateral development bank is called the Asia Infrastructure Investment Bank. And that's got 57 members of countries around the world. It's going to have another 25 new members this year. And it engages in a very different type of investment. It looks at the project, it lends to a project, not to a country. And, you know, I would say the chances are that this would prove a lot more financially rewarding for the Chinese. The Chinese have also got other multilateral development banks. There's one called the New Development Bank with uh, five countries in the so-called BRICS grouping of nations. And the Silk Road Fund, which is a 40 billion US dollar fund, is also entering into cooperative agreements with Western development banks such as the EBRD. So China is changing. And I think the way it's changing its approach recognizes the fact that it has wasted a lot of money in ill-conceived projects that do not yield a commercial return. But uh, these new institutions you're talking about, the AIIB and uh, maybe the Silk Road Fund, they have China at the center and China probably as sort of the driving force. What is all behind this? A gamble on the part of China, a, a desire to have more influence. Uh, how does the new Silk Road fit into what you earlier on described as the greater China dream? I think there is a very big strategic component to the whole One Belt, One Road grand design. And this makes it doubly difficult to see whether projects are commercial in nature or whether they are more strategic in nature. Uh, let's just take an example of Pakistan. So we've got 54 billion US dollars expected to be invested in Pakistan in the China-Pakistan Economic Corridor. That's building roads and railways and power stations and uh, industrial parks and all kinds of other things. At the end of this China-Pakistan Economic Corridor is the Gwadar port. And initially, the Chinese said that the Gwadar port was a commercial enterprise. The fact that it has very little traffic going through it never really seemed to bother anyone. But the port was built with about a billion dollars of Chinese financing by a Chinese contractor, but it was going to be a Pakistan port. Then in 2015, it was handed over to Chinese ownership on a lease that runs until 2059. And at the time, the Chinese said, no, 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 this port is going to be a commercial port. It doesn't have any military dimension. And the Pakistanis said the same thing. But this year, we hear from the Pakistanis that, yes, the Chinese Navy will be calling at the port. Yes, the port will be used for the projection of China's strategic presence in the region. So it's very interesting and very quixotic in a way. China is being rather sphinx-like. You don't know its intentions. Is this a commercial project or is it commercial for a while and then it flips over into the strategic sphere? 
And I think this is troubling for a lot of countries in the region. I was talking to some Indian sources recently who were amazed at the way China arrives with so much money and so much ability to build infrastructure. And yet, from an Indian perspective, there was always a nagging question at the back of their mind. Are they doing this for strategic reasons or is this just a railway? Which, of course, begs the question, what is the aim of all this? What is China aiming at? Is it to become a superpower or regional superpower? Or do we see a sort of Sinocentric vision of globalization emerging? What is it? Yes, I think that's a very interesting question. I think it's also rather unanswerable at the moment, because I would say it's all of the above. This has a very valid economic perspective, a very valid economic dimension. But it also has very obvious strategic dimensions. And these are, when you read the documents back in Beijing on the One Belt, One Road, these strategic dimensions come through very clearly. The China dream itself is a strategic operation. It is intended to create a China that effectively dominates the Asian region. And this is obviously at its core a strategic and political uh, aim. So I would say One Belt, One Road is everything rolled into one. It's economics, it's politics, it's strategy, and it's, it has a military aspect as well. One Belt, One Road, uh, many risks, many uncertainties and many different dimensions. James, thanks a lot for sharing your insights with us. That was James King of the Financial Times, a seasoned China watcher who spent more than two decades reporting from Asia. Thanks for listening. My name is Ruth Kirchner. Join us again soon and bye for now. You have been listening to Merrick's Experts, the podcast from the Makato Institute for China Studies in Berlin. If you want to learn more about our work, please visit us at merricks.org.